This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity Church. It is so good to be with you all. As many of you know, uh, it is Jeff and Cecilia's last Sunday with us. Uh, And I share that with you, one, to say thank you to them. They've been dear friends to us, and Jeff has also taught me everything that I know, which means ultimately any mistakes you see going on here forward are definitely Jeff's fault. He dropped the ball. They're not mine. Just kidding. I will be taking over some of Jeff's responsibilities, um, and I'm sure that I will make many mistakes. It is good to be with you all a couple days after Christmas, uh, and I'm sure you've noticed that we as Christians around the Christmas season talk a lot about hope and joy And these things that have come to us in a barn, wrapped in swaddling cloths, in a manger. And it's a little interesting because I think if we were to reflect on a lot of our stories, we would admit that at times it's very difficult to have hope and joy. And to illustrate this, I don't know if you guys remember this 2006 Will Ferrell movie called Stranger Than Fiction. I've recently re-watched it, and here's kind of the rough outline of the story. Will Ferrell is playing this man, Harold Crick, and he begins hearing a voice that only he can hear. And like, I think a couple years ago, there was this article about people that have inner dialogues or people that don't have inner dialogues. I don't know if you remember hearing about that, but it's not that unusual for us to like talk to ourselves, you know? I think most of us probably do, or maybe it's just me, in which case you guys are learning a lot about me now. Um, But Harold Crick is hearing this voice uh, but then he starts to notice that it's, it's just narrating the things that he's doing. And the time that it gets really unsettling is when it starts hinting and foreshadowing that his death is imminent. So this narrator, this voice that only he can hear, is dropping these little hints that his life is going to be over. So rightly disturbed, the rest of the movie is following Harold as he desperately searches for the author. And he's trying to find the author because he wants to ask the author, the narrator of the story, if it can be rewritten, if there's any other way that this story must not end in his death. He's going to try to advocate that his character is worth more. So narrating our own lives, maybe talking to ourselves, just describing what we're doing, Uh, is very different than having our lives narrated. You can see that in biographies or autobiographies. In autobiographies, we'd be able to like pick and choose what we want to highlight. It's curated like our Instagram feed, and it shows our lives as as we want them to be. You know, they're they're perfect. None of the sadness, none of the pain, none of the toil. But a biography written by someone else, they often will choose to highlight and focus on Things that might unsettle us some, that might cause us pause, that might leave a sour taste in our mouth. I might be like, I'm not sure I like how this story is being told. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we do reflect on our own lives and we reflect sometimes on what a biographer might write, we might find that often it does look quite hopeless. 
it looks quite devoid of hope. I mean, if we even look at the past year, I think we can admit that it's been a difficult one. Where is the hope? Why can Christians at Christmas time still say that hope is here? And I think in our text today from Luke chapter 2, we're going to see two people who teach us a little bit about why Christians can hope. At the very first Christmas, they show us some important things. So I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Luke chapter 2. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, the the there there is referring to Mary and Joseph, uh, so they're taking Jesus to the temple. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The grass withers The flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So here in Luke chapter 2, we meet these two characters, Simeon and Anna, and they're going to teach us a little bit about hope. They were there on the very first Christmas. A few days later, Jesus is being brought to the temple to fulfill what is uh, required according to the law to offer some sacrifices. And And as Mary and Joseph and Jesus are there, So are Simeon and Anna. And they were indeed hopeful, but their hope was a peculiar kind of hope. We can see here in verse 25 that Simeon is waiting for consolation of Israel. Consolation or comfort. He's looking for hope. And Anna in verse 38 is waiting for a very similar thing. She's waiting for the redemption of Israel. 
this salvation and this consolation, this hope and this comfort. This is what they're waiting for. Simeon being promised that he wouldn't die until he's seen it. And Anna is 84 and has the joy of seeing it. But also their hope is intimately connected with something peculiar because both of those things follow with consolation for Israel and redemption for Jerusalem. You see, Simeon and Anna's hope was intimately tied with what happened to Israel. In in particular, the verses that Simeon is quoting from, which we read some in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 52, is referring to the Messiah or the Lord's Christ. That's why Simeon is quoting from them. So Simeon has this great expectation that he's waiting to see this Messiah that's going to come to redeem Israel. And this is the hope that he's waiting for. But this Messiah that was going to come in in the first century when Simeon lived was definitely understood, as Ronnie has said in some other places, to be a warrior king. He was going to come to fight off the oppressors of Israel and liberate the nation state. Now, as Americans who like throwing off their oppressors, we, we like identify with some of that. We're like, yes, we love that. Um, and there is some goodness, but why, why would their kind of religious um, hopes be tied to this political figurehead? And this is going to require a bit of uh, Old Testament theology, so just hang on with me a little bit. The idea was that when the warrior king came, he would liberate Israel from its oppressors. And that liberation would allow the entire nation state, including its religions, to function as it's supposed to be, or its religion, its worship of Yahweh, the one true God. And when the sacrifices in the temple was operating the way that it was supposed to be, everything would be made right with their relationship with God. And so they would receive the blessing that had been promised to their father Abraham, and the land would be overflowing with milk and honey. And that would overflow. These successes and righteousness of how they operated their kingdom would overflow into neighboring kingdoms. So that even Gentiles, people who were not born as Jews, would see the righteousness and justice of Israel and be like, I want some of that. What are they doing? And on the other side of the coin, they would also clearly reveal those who were the enemies of God. And this warrior king would have the ability to suppress those enemies. And so it wasn't just Israel that would be brought under the the lordship of God. But through Israel, it would be the whole world. This was the hope that Simeon and Anna had. This is the hope that they were waiting for, this consolation of Israel this redemption of Jerusalem. We can presume that Simeon was an old man, having been promised that he wasn't going to die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And I imagine the day that he's coming into the temple in the spirit, he's probably aware that today's the day. It's coming. This warrior king is going to be there. And then the spirit does something, points him to a baby, I've never seen a baby liberate nation states, although they do bring their own little forms of comfort and peace. I imagine that there was some confusion with Simeon a little bit. And you can even see it as he responds to Mary. You can see that pieces are starting to fall into place for him. 
that his hope was actually too small. When he responds to Mary, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Not just the rising of Israel, but the fall. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword is going to pierce through your own heart also. Because our expectation of who this person was going to be. When Simeon walks in and he realizes that it isn't just some man like David who's going to liberate them and be the right king, but it is the incarnate God-man. He realized that the promises that Jesus is fulfilling isn't just going back to Abraham, it's going all the way back to Adam. He realizes that his hope had been too narrow. And he realizes that he was part of of a bigger story. Now, if you, I think we've probably all been a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. I can think something as like simple as like a play or a musical. You know, there's like two characters that have like all the lines. And then the rest of us, you know, are just in the background like singing one chorus or maybe in the back with the lights or the fly systems or something. You know, but you kind of realize that when everybody comes out on stage and takes that bow, it took the whole team to do it. It took everybody. Or Margarita, uh, my wife, gave another instance on Christmas Day. She saw a news article of how people were uh, spending Christmas Day around the world, and she saw a picture of Pakistani women that were worshiping Jesus. And she was overcome by the realization that what God is doing in the world is a lot bigger than Trinity Church. And we're so glad to be a part of it, but there, there are people all over the world that are worshiping his name. We're a part of a larger story. And Simeon even needed to tell that to Mary, who I'm sure understood some of these messianic promises and that her son was going to be this, but didn't quite understand what it was ultimately going to cost. And that her heart would one day be rent in two over the realization of what Jesus had come to do. See, what Simeon and Anna teach us is that we have hope in Christmas because Christmas reminds us that we're a part of a much bigger story. The reason that we recount these stories from 2,000 years ago is because it is the foundation upon which the rest of the stories are built. Because Jesus didn't come to save just one nation state, but all nation states. Jesus didn't come for just one people group, but all people groups. He didn't come for just one land, but all land and all of creation. He didn't come for just some knees to bow to him, but that every knee would bow to him. He didn't come to resurrect just some people. He came to resurrect every single person that has ever lived. He came to make all the sad things come untrue. He came to give hope to a world that had none. And Christmas reminds us that we're a part of this story. So the first thing that we learn from Simeon and Anna is that we're a part of a much larger story. And that does give us hope. It puts our stories in perspective. But there's, there's something that might be a little bit confused by that. So like Harold Crick in Stranger Than Fiction, right? 
He's desperate to find the author, and he wants to plead his case to be able to change the story because his character is worth more. His life is worth more. He's like, don't, don't, don't end it this way. I have so much more to offer. Can we please rewrite the story? Harold Crick was coming to grips with the realization that he might just be at the whims of the narrator. The larger story might be bigger than he is, and so maybe his storyline doesn't matter. Is that, is that what's happening with Simeon and Anna? Is that what happens with us? Are we just kind of lost side characters in the side of the larger play? Does the narrator care about our stories? Well, I'd say that this answer is both yes and no in some sense. Yes, we are side characters, and it is healthy for us to have a good amount of humility with our respect to the biblical story. But in a much more real sense, no. And we're going to see this with Simeon and Anna. Simeon was defined as a man that was righteous and devout, waiting long years for consolation. I don't know if you've ever waited a long time for something. Like Joaquin right now, my son, he can't wait 10 seconds. Like just, just the word wait is just like meltdown on the floor, right? Um, and so as we get older, we develop some resistance and we're able to wait a little bit better, but it's still difficult. It's hard when I have money to not just buy all the things that I want on Amazon, right? I mean, just like instant satisfaction. But when you've waited and yearned for something for a long time, We don't usually describe that as peace. We're usually quite unsettled, actually waiting that long. And yet, when Simeon comes into the temple that day and he meets the Messiah, he is able to say, I am departing in peace. Anna is a woman who's defined in some sense by her trauma her husband dying very early on in their marriage, her living as a widow from then on out for 60-some years, not entirely sure of the timeline of when she got married. But we would think that that 60 long years fasting and praying at the temple is signifying something that's going on with her, a wrestling with God as it were. But she leaves having met the Messiah as one that is able to give thanks to God. Not as one who was bitter or hard-hearted, but one who has been made thankful. Now, I'm not exactly sure how Jesus did it. I'm not sure how an infant child was able to deliver that to Simeon and Anna. I'm not exactly sure how he was able to make sense of all the pieces of their stories. But that's what this passage seems to say. That Simeon could leave in peace and Anna could leave thankful. So Harold Crick, in Stranger Than Fiction, desperately searching for the author, wants to plead with the author to change the story, finally finds the author. 
This is a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. Finally finds the author, an actual person in his own world. And he makes his case, and the author hands him a draft of the completed story, the final chapters of the story of Harold Crick. In this emotional climax of the story, Harold's sitting on the bus and reads through the whole thing. He sees all of the authorial decisions, all of the edits, the things to highlight and focus on. He reads the end of the story, goes back to the author and says, don't change a thing. I know that it includes my death, but don't change a thing. And you know, that's a heartwarming story. But I'm here to tell you that Harold Crick sacrificed his story for the sake of the bigger narrative. And the Bible story is actually much sweeter. Of course, the Bible calls for us to sacrifice ourselves and to lay down these things that we hold on to tightly and to have a healthy humility before the, sto- before the grander story. But if you remember how I said that the story is not fundamentally about us, it's about Jesus. And Jesus sacrifices his own story for the sake of the side characters. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed and going to be killed, he is pleading with the author, his father, Lord, if there's any other way, rewrite this story. But he ends that prayer with, don't change a thing. You see, the first thing we learn from Simeon and Anna is that the story is much bigger than just ours, and that gives us a hope and a perspective. But the second thing that we learn throughout the rest of Luke's gospel is that the one who's writing the story is writing the story for us. It may not be about us, but it is for us. Jesus said, don't change a thing because I know who I'm dying for and they are worth it. I see Anna's sorrow. And I'm going to make that right. I see Simeon's unease, and I'm going to give him peace. Whatever it is in our stories, especially around Christmas, when we enter in old family systems and things are brought up, and this year of 2020 where we're not able to celebrate like we thought we were going to be, and all these sorrows are brought up in our souls, when we look at Christmas and we ask, where is the hope Our hope is in the fact that the story really is so much bigger than ours. But the author went to the utmost lengths for us. So as some kind of concluding thoughts, uh, I do want to acknowledge that our stories are full of lots of things. They're full of pain and laughter, sadness and joy, and and there is trauma and there is sin. And as we reflect on the Christmas hope, 
that Jesus came to bring us into his story. There is still this question of how our lives get oriented to it. And I think, like Simeon and Anna, when we are surprised and shocked by the hope that the Bible brings, our response is to yield to the author of the story. And that can be really difficult. I don't think it was easy for Simeon, having probably dreamed that he was going to see this revolution in his day, to realize that even if Jesus is the man to do it, I'm not going to live to see it. There's a real sorrow. And I want to be absolutely clear that the author of the story sees it. He sees you in all the complexities, in all the nuance, in all the problems and brokenness and anger and bitterness and pain that lives in our lives. And that bigger story is, is that he came to heal it all. It does require a relationship with him and a yielding sort of relationship And that comes with complexities and nuances, and we would love to talk with you about that more and how that applies to your own life. And frankly, I'm surprised at how it works out in my own life, and it is really difficult. But I'd invite you to come to the author of the story and plead to understand his great love for you. 